Welcome to Sky Team's People First with Morag Barrett. Welcome to this week's episode of People First. And my guest this week is Laurie Mahalik-Levin, who believes in empowering working parents. And as I have been one with three boys, I have lived through the experiences that we're going to be discussing today. She is the founder and CEO of Mindful Return and author of Back to Work After Baby, a book I wish I'd had access to when I was returning from maternity leave just one or two years ago. (laughs) She's also the co-host of the Parents at Work podcast. She is married and has two wonderful redheaded boys, uh, ages eight and 10, and is a healthcare lawyer in private practice. Her thought leadership has been featured in publications, including Forbes, The Washington Post, New York Times Parenting, Thrive Global, and The Huffington Post. So, Laurie, welcome to People First. Thank you, Morag. It's a true pleasure to be here. And my children would be upset. They've both had birthdays since I sent that to you. Now they're 9 and 11, and this is a big deal, right? It is a big deal. And it's funny, isn't it? As a parent, I think about my boys who are now 24 and imminently 21. And it seems like only yesterday that they were on counting, you know, the 11 and a half. I'm nine and three quarters. Yes. Um, and so, as I said, I wish I'd had this resource when I returned from maternity leave, but I'm looking forward to our that. conversation today. But happy birthday to both of them. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So let's start with your origin story. I open every episode with the same. The When you were a little bit older than being a baby, but when you were young, what was it that you imagined that you would be doing or dreamed of doing as an adult? Yeah. So when I was in elementary school, it was definitely the ballerina phase. I did tons of ballet and was very excited about dancing. Um, by the time I got to middle school, Someone had told me that it was a good profession to become a certified public accountant. And I love saying those words, but I had no idea what that actually meant. And then I decided I would become a doctor until I went on a field trip to a medical center and realized that blood and guts and science were not going together. But if you fast forward, I did ultimately become a healthcare lawyer. So I think that sort of passion for being part of the healthcare system did stick with me. I love that little intersection. And of course, all the exploring of what you don't want to do to help (laughs) narrow down the options. Because as I look back, and I think the ludic, it's kind of ludicrous at the age of 16 in the UK, if not younger, uh, it's what do you want to be when you grow up and choosing your school path as a result. And then at 18, you're kind of in this career potentially for life. And what I love the covering now is how do you bring that intersection of everything but also the twists and turns along those leadership journeys. Yeah, at the pediatrician's office, I think my oldest son was five, Mm -hmm. and that was one of the regular questions they asked. And my five-year-old said, I want to be a dinosaur when I grow up. And that just really put in our face the ludicrous nature of asking a five-year-old what exactly they want to be. My (laughs) husband is also a career coach, and he does not believe in that question because it's not as though you're going to be something when you grow up. It's that you are going to solve lots of problems and have lots of different roles. And this like being one thing is just a bunch of nonsense. Agreed. And that whole, especially at the rate of change, You think about Mm. some of the job titles that exist now. They didn't exist just a few years ago, let alone when I was in school. And so that idea of I understand what skill set I want to be using and how I want to be working. Mm -hmm. And then the title that you choose to give me is just a cherry on the icing on the cake, maybe. Exactly. Yes. (laughs) So tell me about the environments in which you thrive then. When you think about the skill sets then versus the job title, what is the work that you do that really brings you alive? 
Yeah, I love that question. Um, I have taken some of the, you know, different tools that one can take to identify what one's skill sets are, et cetera. And what comes up for me in the Clifton Strengths Finder, for example, is activator. And so when I can take a problem and like I refuse to just sit with it and muse about it, I need to act on solving that problem. And I think that it probably is what helps me in the legal side, but it also helps me in the advocacy for working parents side, because when I see that there's a gap in the market or a problem that needs to be solved, I just have to sort of go do something about it. I can't just watch it happen. Mm. Okay. So let's talk about that back to work and parents at work. So your book, as I say, back to work after baby, and it's chock full of practical advice, real world stories and anecdotes of other parents who have navigated that Mm. transition. And as I said, I've done that twice. Uh, once just after having my twins, and I think in both times it happened in the UK, mm-hmm. um, where I have the opportunity for longer maternity leave, but in both cases took three months um, because I was the primary breadwinner. My mm-hmm. husband and I had made a decision that he was going to stay home and be the primary carer for the kids, which in the 90s was very unusual, mm-hmm. and that I was going to return to work. But it brought all of its own challenges. So what was your inspiration for the book? Yeah, well, I went back to work to a full-time lawyer role after my first baby, and I found it challenging. And then I had baby number two, two years later, and our whole family sort of went off the rails. And we said one plus one equaled 85. I'm not quite sure how two plus one in your house felt, but um, I looked around for resources that could support me. And all I could find were baby-focused resources. I could find, you know, how to express milk, how to um, do CPR on my baby. I could take classes on how to puree baby food, for goodness sakes, but I could not take a class, and I looked for one, about how to transition back to work as the grown-up, as the adult, and navigate that personal and professional identity transition. And all I found out there was really snarky advice. Don't leave a, don't put a baby picture on your desk or your colleagues won't take you seriously or um, you're going to leak on your shirt, and none of that really resonated. Yeah. And so... I set out to create a program that I wished had existed for myself and ultimately um, developed a four-week online cohort-based course that new parents take as they transition back to work, both moms and dads. And we, op- we opened a UK chapter last year, so we're sort of going global at this point. Um, and and then the book was a natural outgrowth of that effort. So I created the course first, and then I started blogging. And after about two years of blogging on this topic of returning to work after babies, I looked back and said, I think I've already written a book and, you know, sort of took all that I had written over the past two years and wove it together into what you're holding right now. So through the programs and the cohorts and the the, the parents you're working with, the research for the book, what has been one of the most common themes and struggles? Well, I, I don't even want to use the word struggle because you have yeah. to just deal with it. But what are some of the common themes that have emerged? From yeah, the, that? One of the common themes is that We as parents, as working parents, feel a number of conflicting emotions at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I think it's helpful for people to understand and appreciate that it's okay for them to be super excited to walk into their office and it doesn't make them a bad mom. (laughs) Um, And at the same time, it's okay to feel really sad when you're leaving baby somewhere for the first time and, you know, needing to learn that trust grows over time. Um, There's also a theme that emerged, um, there are so many things that have emerged, but one is that people feel as though because they were gone for a couple of months, maybe their team didn't really need them and maybe they're not as special at the workplace as they thought. Maybe they don't really have as many unique skills. 
And, you know, that inevitably gets proven wrong when they return back and everyone's excited. But I, th I feel like there is this dip in confidence that happens um, around the, the time of the return. Another theme is that no matter where on this big globe you are, and no matter how long of a leave you've taken, you're probably going to experience a jumble of emotions and, you know, a need to navigate this life transition. Um, you know, the moms in the UK who take the mindful return course have maybe been on leave for nine months or 12 months. Mm -hmm. And in the US, of course, they've been on leave for much shorter than that. And yet I've been surprised by the universality of the the experience of returning, even if some of the logistical aspects are different. More moms in the US are pumping, for example, than in UK who might be weaning off of breastfeeding around the time that they're going back. But um, there's, a, I think, a universal common experience about navigating change that everyone has to cope with. So I think so. Yeah, there's that. That I remember it myself, that whole, A, do I still fit in the clothes that I'm <laughs> yeah. expected to wear to go back to the office? The guilt as you're leaving the oh well now the practicalities if i am still trying to feed whilst obviously not being in the same physical location and how and where do i do that um for my own privacy but then store the milk and all of this sort of stuff and then coming home you're tired because it certainly is it's not that we are evening out the day we're just adding more responsibilities because we go and do our work persona we then come home and do the parent persona and then we do the housework persona and so for me, one of the key learnings was, and I didn't do this early enough, duplication. It took me a long time to work out, have a spare set of clothes in the boot in the trunk of the car <laughs> yeah. so that when the toddler gets messy, you don't have to worry about them sitting in messy clothes. You've got to change there. Have two kettles. This is very important in an English house. Two kettles, one in order to make a cup of tea for me on demand and one that would be cooling down for the distilled water, essentially boiled water to make milk. Yes. Having two kettles speeds that whole process up. And it was like an epiphany for me Yes, in some yes. of those shortcuts. So what are some of the shortcuts that people will discover that either <laughs> through the book or through the, the program? Yeah, well, and the duplication idea, definitely two pumps. I mean, I had one at work <laughs> and one at home. And actually, I might have had two at home. And, you know, all of the duplicate parts, right? Um, uh, other other shortcuts. My husband and I started doing a weekly Saturday meeting, and we have this thing called a Saturday basket, um, mm -hmm. where we like throw all of the stuff that needs to be addressed during the week. But we don't let the detritus of life and all those like little tasks that need to be completed. We we don't let them eat up our work week. We instead give them a place on time, and on Saturday evenings we address everything that's in the basket. And we have this um, checklist that we walk through. It's, you know, hot date on the couch, just family mm -hmm. business meeting, but it's definitely kept us on track and helped us sort out who is on point each day if a child were to get sick or school would close or whatever. Um, so I feel like just that the weekly touch base meeting was really, really necessary. Um, scheduling pumping times on a calendar in advance, like for a whole year really helped me. I did not do this mm -hmm. the first time, but the second time around, um, I think I put like 9.30 to 10, 12.30 to one and oh, 3.30 gosh, to four yeah. on the calendar for the whole year. <gasps> and Smart. if you need it, great. If you don't, um, you, don't. you know, you don't and you can use it. I remember that else. though. Yeah. It was like an inbuilt alarm clock every two hours. And it was yes. like, oh, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> But what I liked about that is the teamwork. I know my husband and I did the same in terms of shifts. And I'm a night owl, so I would stay up until like midnight, one o'clock doing the night shift, especially with the twins, because as soon mm. as you've fed two, then you've changed two and put them down, two hours has gone by and you're doing it all over again. 
but I definitely don't like early morning. So he would do the early morning shifts yeah. and making it clear, because I think this is one of the ongoing perennial challenges of back to work or whatever parenting is, that the assumption is that the the mother whoever is going to take the predominant lead. But certainly in my arrangements, my husband and I took equal lead and making sure that sitting down on the couch and then splitting up the things that had gone into your basket makes it a team effort. And when Mm -hmm. we can make it a team effort, it makes it less stressful and maybe less guilt-ridden for me as to am I doing enough and I'm wearing all my hats in the appropriate way. Yeah. Yeah. I am a huge fan of Eve Rodsky's work around that topic. And she has this book called Fair Play. And I've taken a course to become a fair play facilitator. And what I really appreciated about how she deconstructs some of this housework is the learning that every single task comes with three parts, CPE, conception, planning, and execution. And if one person can own the CPE for each of the different tasks, then it alleviates a lot of the confusion that happens in the household. Mm -hmm. Often you see men doing the E part, the execution, but then the woman ends up holding the mental load of the C and the P. And so when you can get into a rhythm where each person owns the task from its conception all the way through its execution, of course, with the input of the other person, but there's true ownership. I feel like you can wind up with a a much more balanced um, division of labor. And I think that becomes even more important as when we had three under five, um, when you're starting to think about logistics for who's going where and is there an after school activity, et cetera, Mm -hmm. all of that conceptual and planning piece just can become overwhelming as you try to remember all the pieces. So I love that. So what role have relationships and your network played then in your success professionally and personally? Oh, I mean, they've played every single role in all of my professional endeavors and relationships and, and experiences. I mean, right now I wear two hats professionally. I run my own law firm. Um, I, I left big law last summer uh, to focus more on mindful return. And now I say a little bit tongue in cheek that I I practice law as my side gig, but (laughs) all of the relationships that I have built up over the past two decades in, you know, Medicare reimbursement law are what allow me to have a practice where clients followed me from the big firm and I continue to Mm -hmm. to be able to practice. Um, In mindful return world, I think um, it's the village that supports me in raising my children, right? And it's also my ability to form a village of other new parents and working parents who all need support from each other. So both on the business side and in the like personal, I need help as a mom side, um, all of those relationships have been super helpful. Um, My husband also, he just published a book called Relationships to Infinity, uh, The Art and Science of Keeping in Touch. And he loves the talking about relationships and getting back in touch with people and how to do it and how to get over the fears of reconnecting. And so that is a hot topic in our house. It is, especially given the last two years with us all working remotely and our ability for those chance encounters um, diminished. It's Mm -hmm. powerful. And and it's the theme of both of my books here, the importance of relationships at work. So you talk there about the the juggling. So you have your private practice, you have the mindful return work, you have the family. How do you ensure integration? Because one of my bugbears, I hate the work-life balance. Oh, yeah. It's life. And then we choose what we put in it. I know. So how do you remain present? Yeah. In all of the facets of your life. Mm-hmm. Take it from there. 
Yeah, I think over time, and this has not been something that I flipped a switch and it has happened for me, but over time, also note my children are a little older now, so I have a little bit more margin, but I've developed practices that I am very committed to on a daily basis that help keep me centered and sane. I have a daily yoga practice, a daily stillness practice like before my kids are up and running around and it's 15 minutes on my mat with the insight timer app going. Um, my husband, during the pandemic, my husband and I started trading off weekend alone time where I get three hours on Saturday and he gets three hours on Sunday because we were all together for so long in the <laughs> pandemic that I needed some time to myself. And I think it's it's that ability to get some white space in my schedule, um, sit and reflect on the upcoming week. Um, it's the Saturday touch base meetings with him. It's the fact that on our touch base meeting checklist, one of the things is, does Lori have a, a time in the next couple of weeks to see her friends already in the calendar? Does Jason, my husband, have that in the calendar? Do we each have alone time mapped out and calendared? And I think what keeps me sane and able to integrate all the things is the the fact that it appears on the calendar and therefore it is a commitment and an obligation. My husband and I are accountability partners to each other and making sure that the stuff that's on the calendar actually happens. Um, and really, I think one theme that I like to bring up in the mindful return work is that all the skills that we gain through parenthood are very applicable to our careers and mm -hmm. their, their great leadership skills. And there is such a thing in the psychology literature as work-life enrichment. And I try to remind myself on a daily basis that the work aspects of my life complement my home aspects and the home aspects complement the work aspects. I am absolutely a happier mom because I am working and using my brain and engaging and activating and creating. Yeah. And I am absolutely a better creator and entrepreneur and all that good stuff and lawyer even because I take the time out for parenting. So I want to remind that. myself of that. Yeah, and the last chapter in the book talked about leadership and, to your point, how they connect the two. And I just love the fact that it is a conversation that can happen. Because certainly in my first career, when I was pregnant with the twins, I deliberately delayed that decision until I had the title of manager for, for fear that it would slow down the career. Because mm. it was something that you did outside of work. You know, never the twain should meet. Mm -hmm. And at least now we're starting to have that dialogue. We're putting in resource. We're allowing flexibility to schedule um, pumping and breastfeeding times on your account. I mean, God, that's so smart. Um, but it's it, it, there's still so much to be done individually and collectively. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I do see employers in particular paying more attention now. I think the pandemic helped to shift and really helped to sort of lay bare some of the struggles that working parents were going through. Um, and there are now 85 employers that offer mindful return as a parental leave benefit. So I know firsthand that employers are perking up and are um, you know, saying, oh, well, I want to retain these employees and I also want to be a humane employer. And how can I do that? So I think you know, there are steps to be made at the employer level. There are steps to be made at the government level. We need paid leave. Yes, we really we need, need paid, paid leave. leave. <laughs> um, and then there are yeah. individual steps that we can take to, you know, build our communities and make sure that we're connecting with other people and to normalize conversations around working parenthood and flexibility and, you know, not being an always on culture all the time. I love the fact that actually one of the pieces of advice in there is if you've had one of those nights and we've all had them before children and after children where you didn't get to sleep so well, drop them off at daycare, <laughs> call your office where you can and say, I'll be in at lunchtime and go home back to a nap. 
And I'm yes. thinking, again, it's not rocket science, but that to me, like, it was a I didn't think of it at the time, but at least now, if one of my team were going through this and they rang, I wouldn't think twice. It would be, of course, see you whenever. In fact, take the day, whatever. And it's showing a shift, but not fast enough, because certainly the research coming out of the pandemic is the disproportionate impact on women and those with any caring responsibility has um, impacted and probably contributed to the great resignation that we're seeing right now as people choose a different lifestyle mm-hmm. and a different approach or different priorities mm-hmm. um, in order to support themselves mm-hmm. and those that depend on them. Yes, yes. I mean, I think the pandemic in many ways was a, a good accelerator of the shifts that we would want to see in terms of speeding up flexibility. But it, the, the burden, I think, has fallen um, heavily on yeah. caregivers and you know all the data coming out about the burnout that caregivers faced over the past two years and continue to face um, is startling and absolutely contributes to the great resignation for sure. So what's next for you? Um, what's coming out next for Mindful Return and the work that you're doing there? Yeah, so or, uh, Mindful Return has grown organically over the years, depending on what the needs of employers are and the interest of people all over the globe. So at first we were just for moms and then we added a component for dads shortly thereafter because to their credit, employers wanted to you know, support dads. After that, we developed a program for parents of special needs children because mm-hmm. they have different needs in the workforce. Um, then we added a manager training because managers really matter. How your manager treats you when you come back and how they pay attention to your leave matters. And then we added a UK chapter um, and an, an India chapter last year. This year, um, we have launched a Spanish language version of our programs because employers have been asking for that. Um, and we are about to launch a South Africa chapter of Mindful Return in May, and then later this year, a Portuguese language version. So the folks from Brazil can participate as well and Portugal. Yeah. Oh, so, I celebrate you. Isn't that exciting? Could you have imagined when you started this? No. That this is <laughs> global, global. I had no idea. And I'm just so um, delighted that it resonates with so many people and that people find it a useful tool pretty much no matter what their cultural background is. Um, I mean, it's a human thing to give birth to a baby and have to shift many things about your life. So tell tell us all, how can we learn more then about Mindful Return and the work that you're doing and the support that's available? Yeah, thank you. Um, you can go to www.mindfulreturn.com and poke around. There's a page specifically for employers. There are pages about each of our courses that we offer. Um, I blog every week and there's a newsletter that you can sign up for on the website um, that comes out every Saturday called Saturday Secrets, you know, tips for working parents. Um, you can find my book on Amazon, Back to Work After Baby. Um, I am on all the usual social media channels. You can find Mindful Return at Mindful Return on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. Um, and what else? Oh, and I co-host the Parents at Work podcast, which you mentioned earlier, with my wonderful husband. And we are sort of a tag team on making sure that the stories of moms and dads in different industries and sectors get told publicly. Okay, so I've put it there, mindfulreturn.com, and we'll make sure to include all of that information on the show notes. So is there going to be a sequel? There's another book in me. I don't know if it's the sequel to to that, but there's uh, once a writer, always a writer, Morag, I think. Okay. So as we come to the end of our time together, what uh, final words of wisdom do you want to leave our listeners and our viewers with? Yeah, you got this. If you're a working parent, you'll figure it out. I mean, there's so much stress and so much, I don't know how I'm going to do it and this isn't going to work. And like, 
you'll figure it out and find your tribe. Find other people who are going through that same transition around the same time you are. I isolated myself on the kitchen floor and cried a lot. And that was not the strategy that I would (laughs) recommend taking. Um, But when you can hear your own concerns echoed in other people's comments and thoughts, I think that really helps normalize the situation and bring your own anxiety levels down. So find your people and you got this. I'm going to build on that. I remember sitting on the sofa sobbing one time to my husband going, I can't go on. That was when I was uh, still feeding the twins. And Uh, as you say, suddenly it's 24 years later. (laughs) There are no rules. You put the diaper on the stinky end, but sometimes it can be hard (laughs) to work out which. But you'll work out what works for you. The key is don't go it alone. Ask for what you need Mm -hmm. and share what's happening because people will rally around and you'll get shortcuts and tips like I wish I'd had <laughs> that will shorten that learning curve and make that transition so much easier. So, Laurie, I really appreciate your time mm. today. I wish you ongoing you, success. Laurie. Congratulations with the new chapters that are opening up. Let me know how we can continue to support you here at People First. And Wonderful. thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me on, Morag. It's been a pleasure to, to meet you and to connect. Thank you so much for joining Morag today. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe so you don't miss a thing. If you learned something worth sharing, share it. Cultivate your relationships today when you don't need anything before you need something. Be sure to follow Sky Team and Morag on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you have any ideas about topics we should tackle, interviews we should do, or if you yourself would like to be on the show, drop us a line at info at skyteam.com. That's S-K-Y-E team.com. Thanks again for joining us today. And remember, business is personal and relationships matter. We are your allies.